Hello, this is Peter Woolfolk. First, let me say thank you so much for being a listener. Now, I want to alert you to our shiny new podcast website located at podpage.com. However, you can go directly to the podcast site located at www.publicrelationsreviewpodcast.com. There, you can contact me through email. You can leave a voice message. You can leave a review. You can read an episode blog and frequently learn about the podcast guests. You might also want to suggest podcast topic ideas or even suggest a guest. You can also let me know if you would like to receive our podcast listener logo that you can post on your social media. So I look forward to hearing from you about our new podcast website, www.publicrelationsreviewpodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening to the Public Relations Review Podcast and have a great day. Welcome. This is the Public Relations Review Podcast, a program to discuss the many facets of public relations with seasoned professionals, educators, authors, and others. Now, here is your host, Peter Woolfolk. Welcome to the Public Relations Review Podcast and to our listeners all across America and around the world. Now, several months ago, I was joined by two other PR professionals, and we discussed how our professional careers were catapulted as a result of our grinding experiences in actual politics, campaigns, or the offices of elected officials, events, and more. Now, my guest today has had the same career trajectory. She is a graduate of Washington State University with degrees in communications and political science. She has served as communications director for the Washington State Republican Caucus, two attorneys general, the Employment Security Department, and the Department of Corrections. She's also held similar positions at Microsoft and the Washington State Grange, a rural association group. She is a member of the Public Relations Society of America National Public Affairs and Government Executive Committee and the College of Fellows Leadership Team. She joined PRSA College of Fellows in 2017 and earned the Lloyd B. Dennis Distinguished Service Award for National Public Affairs Excellence that year. Now she was named PRSA Puget Sound PR Professional of the Year in 2018, and then she went on to win the Hugh Smith Community Service Award in 2019. Now the Communications Director for the Building Industry Association of Washington, my guest Janelle Guthrie, joins us today from Olympia, Washington. Janelle, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Peter. It's great to join you, and it was so nice to meet you. Well, thank you so much. Well, look, why don't you tell uh, our listeners, because you've had some experience in politics, about how your experience in politics helped prepare you and help you exceed and really uh, jump ahead of some people in line simply because you had a lot of this experience and how it benefited your, your communications career. Absolutely. You know, I look back in my time, especially in the Washington State Senate, so fondly. I mean, it was a time where we worked really hard, sometimes late into the night for session, but at the same time, we really honed our skills as public relations professionals. So in Washington State, the caucus staff for Republicans and Democrats are paid by the state legislature. We we have staff that does policy. We have staff that does political uh, public relations. And 
and we respect each other. So back in the day when I worked there, we would obviously work on opposing sides of issues, but we also had an ethics board at the state legislature that held us accountable as well. And so I think what really three things I learned from working in the state Senate and then the Attorney General's office and uh, working on campaigns is that, number one, you have to really be truthful. It's important to have a robust de debate over your issues, but you have to make sure you have your facts straight, you have to make sure you can back them up, and you have to make sure that you're telling the truth because you will be held accountable. Number two, I think, is that you really have to play fair. It's one thing to really go at it and have a robust debate over an issue that you feel strongly about, but you have to play fair because the next day you could be working on an issue together and you don't want to burn those bridges down the road. And then I think number three is really just kind of being a thoughtful advocate on issues and looking for ways that you can find common ground while also recognizing that you have differences. And so what that taught me, working in the state legislature and then working for the attorney generals, I think was that you can work quickly, you can work truthfully, and that really puts you ahead of other people when you're working in other arenas, say state agencies, or now working for the Building Industry Association of Washington. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's uh, really important how you talked about the fact that you want to be accurate and truthful in, in uh, presenting information to the public. But also, one of the things that I found when I worked on Capitol Hill in Washington is that uh, sometimes you don't have a lot of time. You know, it depends upon how tight the schedule is, and you're under a lot of pressure to, uh, to get it done within that time frame, and it all has to be accurate. Did you find that same, uh, same experience there? Absolutely, yeah. So you sometimes would have a little bit of lead up on an issue, but other times uh, one of my senators might have met with an advocacy group and come back with an issue that they wanted to move forward. And so it really did require working closely with the policy team and also, you know, doing as much fact checking as you can ahead of time, making sure you have your sources cited uh, so that you can point back to them. But yeah, definitely, I think what I learned the most working in politics is that opportunities present themselves on a moment's notice and you have to be prepared to to act and to fact check things quickly. I mean, it's, it's all about speed. Mm -hmm. And then also being able to write quickly. Right. I think that was one of the things I really learned in working in politics was the ability to write clearly and concisely and quickly because those moments, they open up and then they close. <laughs> you know, one of the other things that came out of that, too, is not when you're working with a piece of legislation and my being a press secretary on Congress and you're dealing with the media, I recognize that I did not have to know each and everything about every detail in that legislation. Maybe the high points that I could, you know, talk to a reporter about. But if they really needed to drill down, maybe there was an issue that they're familiar with, then I can bring in what I call the resource person, the person who actually wrote the legislation to add mm -hmm. in all the actual details. Did you have a similar experience? Exactly. 
exactly. Yes, yes, we could we could do that. And I think it was also really important to be able to call on the advocates or lobbyists that knew um, the nuts and bolts of the issue. And so that's where that ties into my work here now at the Building Industry Association. We have a really strong team of respected lobbyists and a government affairs team in-house. And both of those people have expertise and knowledge that we can draw from. And then the final piece of it is being able to work with people who are affected by the legislation and call them up when we have questions. So for example, recently there was an issue with our energy code here in Washington state and supply chain disruption and costs going up on housing. So as somebody who is charged with knowing the high points and being able to talk about maybe the top three reasons why we believe housing prices are rising so quickly, I could then go, uh, working with our government affairs team, to our members who are on the ground building homes every day and ask them, so what does this mean when I say the supply chain disruption is causing housing prices to increase? Can you give me a couple of concrete examples? And then they were able to give me examples of electrical panels and having to reconfigure electrical panels to carry the added load of electricity as the energy code is requiring less reliance on gas. <laughs> or for example, new energy efficient heat pumps and how the suppliers are working to build those out, but they're not able to get them to our home builders as quickly, so that means delays for the person who's waiting for their house to get built. So being able to provide those concrete examples and kind of paint the picture is really valuable as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the other part of that too, as, I, as, I, as you mentioned, because the legislation a lot, a lot of times is pretty big in Congress. It could be several hundred pages. So there are different groups that you, you need to explain parts of it to them differently than you would other groups involved in the same legislation. How did you mm-hmm. how did you manage that? Because I know you mentioned the consumer, uh, you know, perhaps even builders, corporations. How did you manage to ferret out what was appropriate for which group? Yeah, you know, I think when you talk about that, it makes me think of Attorney General Rob McKenna, who I worked for, and I would always talk to him about trying to select like his three key issue areas to focus on as a leader. And then he came back and said, yes, but those three key issue areas don't matter the same to everyone. So senior citizens might be concerned about this, or Mm -hmm. families with children would be interested about something different. So it is important to, you know, what we landed on is we did have three overarching areas that we focused on for him with regard to consumer protection and fighting uh, addictions, and also working on human trafficking. But depending on which audience you were speaking to, you talked about the issue that mattered to them. And that also requires some research and some connection with the group that you're working with. So before my attorneys general, both Attorney General Rob McKenna, who was a Republican, and Attorney General Bob Ferguson, who was a Democrat, before they spoke to a group, we were tasked with reaching out to that group, identifying who was going to be in the audience, what some of their key issues were, all the way down to who was going to be introducing them, who might be sitting at the table with them, so that they were prepared to provide the most value when they came to speak to that group. It's nothing worse than going to a group cold with a topic that you're clearly not connecting with your audience on. Mm-hmm. It's 
sadly, I mean, it looks a little disrespectful to the group that you're talking to. It looks like you didn't care enough to do the research. And then it also puts your your uh, elected official in a bad situation because they're sitting there speaking about something, and you can see in the audience that it's not resonating with them. <laughs> so it's really important to do that groundwork. And I think that's why I, I found politics and working for elected officials so interesting. You know, I'm very, very glad you mentioned that because that is so key, you know, knowing your audience and checking with, with the, somebody who knows the audience ahead of time to be prepared. I can recall when I was on Capitol Hill, this was some years ago, but the U.S. was preparing to build what was going to be called the superconducting super collider. Now, this was a huge, huge undertaking, and I guess briefly I'll explain it as they were going to whirl atoms around in some big underground a circumference around like a donut thing uh, at tremendous speeds somewhere down in Texas, you know, multi-billion dollar operation, and it had some sort of benefits to the public. Well, what happened was the builders uh, decided to send out a scientist to talk about what this is going to be. Well, unfortunately, the scientist spoke in scientific terms, <laughs> and <laughs> far too many people didn't understand the benefits. Some of those people were the people on this budget committee. And oh, actually, no. so what time, when the time came, we got to cut something because, we you know, we've got this uh, deficit. The superconducting super collider got the axe. Uh, yeah. <laughs> now, believe it or not, it did survive, but it survived overseas because the Europeans knew the benefit of it. And they took advantage of it somewhere up in Switzerland, I think. And uh, they got it up and running there. But the point simply being to support what you said, that you've got to know your audience, know what it is that they need to hear, and the why and the, the pros and cons of what happens and how it impacts them is hugely, hugely important to PR professionals to understand that how important that is. Absolutely, and I can say there's two two speakers that I listen to frequently and actually throughout my career. Number one is Ann Wiley. She's a writing coach. She does a number of seminars for the Public Relations Society of America. So if you're a member, you can get those little one-hour seminars for free. But she teaches you not to say things like the 100-gallon tank of whatever holds, you know, this, so when I worked at the Attorney General's office, for example, we were talking about these huge tanks of nuclear waste that needed to be processed and how we were suing the federal government because they weren't processing this nuclear waste as quickly as they should. And instead of talking about 500 million gallons of nuclear waste, you would say that and then say that's the equivalent of X number of swimming pools or, you know, something that kind of helps people understand, like, mm -hmm. what does 500 gallons look like? And that's not an, a one-to-one, -one, you know, that's not a, an accurate. Um, but I found myself looking things up, like, okay, so how many gallons is that? Or what does that look like when you think of 500 gallons of something? What is, what is that? Um, and then Michael Smart also talks about if you have a particularly hard to explain or a word that, that people haven't heard, like your scientific words that you were talking about, if you can get the scientists to describe what that might be in an analogy, mm -hmm. um, then it helps people, oh, okay, I can connect to that. I don't know what this superconductor is, but I can relate to this other thing. And then you use that word. You say it's 
and, and it's really a, a wise way of coming at it because it helps people process information in their brain and then they make a connection. Mm-hmm. Now, have you had any experiences, let's say, that, that you had to recover from maybe before you knew what to do and how to go about uh, making these things relatable to your audiences? Have you had some, some snafus in your career that you had to recover from at all? Oh, definitely, definitely. Throughout your career, there's always things that, you know, can be, you know, make a misstep and then you have to correct. I think, you know, I had an example when I was working on a campaign, for example, and it was a gubernatorial campaign and the person that I worked for was in commercial real estate and we had on his website called him a commercial real estate broker. You know, we're a bunch of young campaign staffers not knowing the difference between a commercial real estate broker, a commercial real estate agent. And so I had editorial board editor who I'd made a relationship with over the years call me and say, hey, Janelle, is he really a broker? And sure enough, he came in that day and said, hey, are you a broker? And he's like, no, I'm an agent. So we had to change it because there's a significant difference between being a commercial real estate agent and being a broker. There's education. There's, I think there's testing. You know, it's the next step up. And so we needed to correct that. We corrected it on the website, and we sent a little notice out to media and people that we'd worked with to let them know that we had made this mistake on the campaign, and and it fixed it. Mm-hmm. But had we not taken that step to own up to our mistake, it could have been resume boosting. You know what I mean? It could be one of those fake resume stories. You know, There's all kinds of things that could have gone sideways with that, but thankfully, we quickly addressed the problem and and fixed it. And, you know, there's been situations like that that you make mistakes, and that's what I'm saying about being truthful. If you have a reputation of being truthful and having integrity, when you make a mistake, people are more likely to, to let you apologize and own up to your mistake mm-hmm. rather than coming at you as a liar, which is, you know, it's, it's always nice to have that kind of relationship with people. You know, one of the things that uh, helped me call you talked about having relationships with the media, good relationship with the media was very, very important to me. Again, when I was on Capitol Hill, again, uh, several years ago, issue came out where uh, they found out that some members of Congress were floating checks and that and simply means they didn't have the money in the in their checking accounts to cover yeah, the checks yeah. they wrote, <laughs> that, that sort of thing. Well, what the problem was was that the ethics committee had let these people know on a, on, on a memo and said that, hey, if you can prove that uh, this is in error, let us know. We'll take your name off the list. Well, unfortunately, as a lot of things do in Congress, the list got leaked. Mm-hmm. Well, the leak, uh, the leak happened on a Friday evening, and I get a call from the uh, porter because my member worked in New York City a Saturday morning, <laughs> and everything <laughs> was shut down. So having the relationship, I had said, well, fine, just hold on. I will get the information for you. Probably can't do it until Monday, but let me find out what this is all about. And basically what happened was the member had transferred or wired the money into the account earlier. But somehow, because there was not an actual bank on Capitol Hill, but some staff was handling things like that, they entered it late. So it didn't show up as it was supposed to be. But then what we did is we called all the reporters involved. And New York City is a huge media market. So the New York Times, the Washington, Washington Post, AP, uh, LA Times, all those folks, I called them up and let them know we were going to have a press conference. We were going to fly in the people from New York 
We're going to bring in the paperwork to demonstrate that we never should have been on the list in the first place. And they all agreed that uh, they would be there. And, you know, if they're happy with it, they put a retraction in the paper. And thank goodness that's exactly what they did. Now, now the problem is, is that they wrote the retraction, but it didn't get the same exposure on the front page. <laughs> and that's always a frustration, isn't that's it? Right. I mean, that's why I always tell uh, folks that I'm working for, you know, when the media calls, we try to get them a response as quickly as possible if we can. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in your situation, it sounds like the story was already out before you had an opportunity to respond. But uh, it is frustrating because the headline comes out, the bad headline comes out, and then the retraction shows up on, you know, page 10 or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, that's the other thing I was talking about in terms of politics. You need to be able to respond to emergencies and make, doing it correctly. I mean, putting out in, uh, inaccurate information uh, just to talk to the media is a bad news thing. And if you've got good relationships, you said, fine, I don't have the information now, but give me actually, you know, a couple hours or whatever, and I'll get back to you with a correction. Depending mm-hmm. upon their uh, deadlines, a lot of them are willing to wait because you have that relationship. Exactly. But I think what you hit on is just the most important thing is responding to the media when they call and saying, I'm still working on getting that information or here's what I know. Because I think a lot of times um, public relations professionals, communications, media relations people, they have this sense that they have to have the whole story before they can respond to Mm -hmm. the press. And not responding in any way, shape, or form makes it look like you're hiding something. Absolutely. So if you call them up and say, boy, you know, this is an evolving situation. We are really trying to get this under control. But as soon as I have anything I can share, I will share it. And so at that point, you're acknowledging that there is a situation and, and recognizing, too, that the media doesn't need the entire story either. They just need to be able to report, I've talked to Janelle Guthrie at XYZ. Um, this is an evolving situation. She's promised she'll get back to me. And then you've given them something that they can run with on TV. Mm-hmm. It's mainly TV, usually TV that's really pressing. But now, you know, the print journals, everybody's on Twitter. So they're all kind of waiting with if they know something's going on and you're not responding – it's just is so critical that you respond and give them something and let them know that you do know they want information and you are trying to get back to them. I've even gone so far as to put a voicemail or you can put something on your website that says, you know, there is an evolving situation, more information to come come here because it can't always if you've got 100 reporters calling you, you can't individually call them all back, but you may be able to to find ways to get the message out or, for example, on Twitter or wherever you can find a way to to let people know you are aware that they're asking a question and you are aware that they know there's a crisis and you're trying to get the most accurate information as soon as you can. Mm -hmm. I think that's just really important. The the other thing that's happened sometimes is people, uh, reporters using a particular place as a reference point. And when they, we have nothing to do with it, I worked at a university here in uh, here in Nashville, and there was some sort of uh, incident near the university, uh, but the university had nothing to do with it. Somebody went on to the university to get some help, and uh, the reporter said that this incident, I think it might have been a major car accident, somebody ran away from it near Fisk University. You know, we didn't want it to be used as a reference point because it makes us sound like we had something to do with it. Uh, not only that, as a matter of fact, the, the TV truck went up on the campus and the, and the, uh, 
the uh, microwave thing went up too. So I had to call and ask them to take it off the campus because we had nothing to do with that. Why don't you just reference it the, the clearest intersection as compared to the university? Because it, you know, we just don't want to be in that story. And you know, you have to have to take those steps sometimes to, to clean it up as well. Mm-hmm. And, and I found again, it goes back to what you're talking about: having relationships with the media, touching base with them, even if you don't have a story that you're pitching, uh, responding to their calls when they call you, mm-hmm. and trying to be prompt and helpful so that they can get their stories done. It's you know, it's a lifelong relationship, and it all goes back to those conversations we had early in this podcast about being honest, being having integrity, being fair. All of those things help build your your reputation so that you can continue to have those good relationships with reporters. And I think that's important even today when we have people developing their own content on social media and you know there's so much misinformation out there. I still think we can count on working with our friends in journalism to make sure that we're trying to be as truthful and getting the true facts out to people. That was all very well said. Well, Janelle, you provided us an awful lot of information today. Is there anything you think that we've missed that perhaps uh, the listeners should know? I would just really encourage people. I know you're a member of the Public Relations Society of America. I was a journalism major, political science. But what I really learned about our craft, I have completely learned through PRSA. They taught me about ethics. They taught me how to do the nuts and bolts. They taught me about strategic planning. So I would just say, you know, I'm not getting paid for this uh, this commercial, but I would <laughs> tell people to take advantage of membership in the Public Relations Society of America because it will really help their career. Well, I uh, I certainly support that. I've gotten a lot of benefit from being a member as well. So, But let me say this. Uh, I really want to thank my guest today, uh, Janelle Guthrie, She's with the uh, Building Industry Association of Washington. That's the state of Washington. And really, Janelle, thank you so very, very much. And, you know, appreciate your taking the time to come on and share your wisdom with our listeners. Oh, thank you so much, Peter. I'm looking forward to listening to more of your podcasts. I think you're doing a great job, and I really appreciate your work in this area. Well, thank you. And uh, to our listeners, we certainly appreciate your listening to uh, to the podcast. And, of course, if you've enjoyed the show, we'd, we'd really like to get a, a review from you. So thank you again so much for listening. And be sure to listen to the next edition of the Public Relations Review Podcast. This podcast is produced by Communication Strategies an award-winning public relations and public affairs firm headquartered in Nashville, Tennessee. Thank you for joining us. Hi, this is Peter Woolfolk speaking. Now, first of all, thank you so very much for listening to the podcast. Now, I am very excited to let you know that the podcast is now available on Amazon Alexa. You know the drill. Simply say, Alexa, play Public Relations Review Podcast, and she'll take it from there. And again, thank you for listening. And if you enjoy the program, please become a subscriber. Now, on to the podcast.